Well, good morning. Things uh, things just took a slight turn uh, for the good. We'll say that this morning. Um, Paisley, come here just a second. Tell me what happened. Basil got us saved this morning <laughs> in Sunday school. <laughs> She's as stubborn as her mama. <laughs> We've been waiting on this for a long, long time. don't know what they're talking about. Baby Paisley's been her conviction for a while. And today was a day. It's just been a good day, ain't it? Good? Okay. <laughs> We'll talk about the rest of it a little bit later, but just thought y'all might like to hear that. That's encouraging. That's what we prayed about this morning. Keith started out. I guess she's listening to that too, didn't you? See, she listens to Keith. <laughs> Love you. All right, you sit down. We have, uh, she's sharp as a knife quote scripture and do all this stuff and just we knew that she's just missing that one thing and uh, we've just been praying hard so we're tickled to death now we're uh, that's one less burden you know for a parent um, that's that's what we pray for we pray for that moment right there uh, for our children we feel like we've done the best that we can and we can get them to that point, and not as a not as a preacher or as a pastor, but as a parent, as a Christian, that's that's what we go for right there is to make sure that our children know who Jesus is and what He can do for them. She knows what that was her words this morning. She said that she did not want to go to hell, and she knew that Jesus could get her to heaven, and that's all you need to know. That's that's what that's out of the mouth of babes right there. So. I'm happy now. I don't know how much preaching will happen now. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> that's good. That's a good way to start our Sunday off. All right, we'll we'll try this and see what happens. I may have to turn the heat down. I'm burning up right now. Everybody else is too. <laughs> the power went out, and so everything's reset. I'll drop it down to about 62 air conditioner and see what happens. Carolyn will be throwing books at me here shortly. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. There's a... <clears throat> I don't know if it's a wives' tale or just an old saying or what it is, but it talks about you, how you bowl a frog alive. Y'all ever done that? 
Anybody know anything about that? Jerry, you've done that before, ain't you? <laughs> That's sick. No. So what they say is if you throw a, a live frog into a boiling pot of water, that they'll jump right out. They're smart. But if you put a frog into a room temperature pot of water, it'll just sit. And then you can continue to turn the heat up, and it will acclimate itself to that pot of water and will never jump out, and you will actually boil the frog alive. Whether or not that's true, I'm assuming it would be true. Um, I believe it's, uh, it's been proven in the, in the growing wickedness of this society that we're living in right now. I believe we as Christians have become the frog. I believe, and I'm sure Mike's going to go home and try that after a while, and then he's going to have you bread it and fry it and have frog legs for supper. As Christians, we have become the frogs. As Christians, we have been in, in, in this pot of water for so long that we have been afraid to jump out. We don't know what to do now because we have got acclimated to this world. We've got acclimated to the things that are going on, to the sin in the world, to the ungodly things that are going on in the world. We just turn and, and look away. We don't try to get out of it. We just kind of move around a little bit like the frog would do. Now, what if, and this is something I've, I've studied on a while this week, and I want you to go back to the 1940s, 1950s, maybe even the early 60s, but here's some what ifs I want you to think about. What if, what if the world wanted to, to ban public displays of Christmas? What if? So go back to the 40s, 50s, and somebody came to whatever, they took it to the Supreme Court or whatever, and they said, we don't think that we should be having nativity scenes out on the lawns. We shouldn't be having Christmas plays. We shouldn't be saying Merry Christmas. What if they brought that to whoever, the higher-ups, and said, we think we should ban this? What if? Or what if they wanted to call for the removal of In God We Trust from our money? What if? What if they decided that it's not right to have the Ten Commandments on the courthouse? And we've been fighting that here lately too. What if? What if they came out and they said that they wanted us to accept homosexual marriages and that they wanted to recognize pedophilia as a what we would call a constitutionally guarded personal freedom? What if back in 1940, 1950, that was brought before the church or before the government what do you think would happen? They'd nix it pretty quick, wouldn't they? It wouldn't happen. They wouldn't allow that to happen. And they know that it couldn't happen. We wouldn't allow that to happen, I know. So rather than just throw the frog into the bowl of pot of water, they're willing to bide their time. And that's what they've done since the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2010s. And here we are, 2022. They bide their time. And here we are, and now they're doing it to us. The Christians are having things slowly taken away from them. We're being, we, again, I say it a lot, I know, but we have become the minority. They've slowly turned the heat up to the point where we can't jump. We can't jump out no more. It's been a gradual increase of heat on us for a while. And so we can't jump. There comes a point of no return in the process where that frog loses control and can't jump, 
Well, we have lost control as the Christian, as the church, and we can't jump no more. We're afraid to jump. We don't know what to do. Control is then, it's in the hands of the person turning up the heat. So who's putting the heat on us right now? The devil. The devil is turning the heat up. The devil is using so many different people and so many different organizations in this world right now to just continue to turn the heat up and turn it up a little bit more. Every century, every, every few years, they'll turn it up a notch. And they'll turn it up a notch. And they'll turn it up a notch. And they can't, we can't jump anymore. We can't move out of it. If you think about it, we've reached that point in our society. We've reached almost the boiling point in our society. If you got your Bibles, turn over to 1 Peter 3. Stand with me just a moment. We're going to read just a few, few verses. Uh, chapter 13, or verse 13, I'm sorry. Chapter 3, verse 13. The Bible says, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil doing. Conley, will you open us up in prayer, please? Father, thank you this morning for privilege to be here today, God. And God, as you said in your word, as Chad brings it, as um, we pray that you just come out through the Holy Spirit on him and let him say the word that you have us to hear, God. And help us to accept it, God. Help us to live for you and try to show someone else that Christ is soon coming back, God. Go with us, forgive us, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So, how do we respond to a hostile world and, and take a stand for Jesus? Because we are, this is a hostile environment that we're living in right now. As Christians, it's getting worse and worse and worse for us. So, how do we take a stand for what we believe in? How do we take a stand for Jesus? Well, Peter's going to work on that with us this morning. First thing, we should be patient about doing good. Now, doing good. This did not come from the Catholic Church. It's exactly what Keith was thinking, Cindy, too, probably. It didn't come from Catholic Church. Cause that's what the Catholics thinking. Just do good, do good, do good. You're going to heaven. Go, just do good. No, that's not what we're talking about. I believe wholeheartedly in, in works after salvation. And that's what I'm talking about, and that's what Peter's talking about here. When we are eager and enthusiastic about going and doing good things and the right things, it's much harder for, to be criticized. It's much harder to be attacked. Have you ever noticed that Catholics don't come under attack as often? Well, they do. Their priests do. But we won't talk about that. But have you ever noticed the Catholics don't really get put under a microscope as much as the other religions do, especially uh, the, the Protestant Christians like us? Because they're constantly doing good. They're always doing good works. Always doing good works. And we need to be doing good works, but we need to be doing it in the name of Jesus. That, that's the difference. Don't do it to try to get to heaven because it don't work that way. Do it to glorify God. Do it to, so that the world can recognize who Jesus is and what he will do for them. Do it and, and always do it in his name. Don't do it in the church's name. Do it in Jesus' name. Now, we're, if we keep doing that, 
if we keep doing the good stuff like we're supposed to, people are less likely to criticize us. They're they're less likely to point fingers at us and 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 try to make life hard on us, attack us. And that's something that uh, that's why we're under attack right now. We're not doing enough for Jesus. And so we have become under attack. It becomes a lot tougher for the enemy to find stones to throw when it, we are passionately pursuing kindness and mercy. When we're doing it out of heart, when we're doing it for the right reason, when we're doing it for Jesus, the enemy can't find enough stones to throw at us because we're doing it for Jesus. The devil's going to try. The devil's going to try to find every rock possible. He will throw every dagger at you, and he will, he will make it as hard on you as possible. But keep doing good in Jesus' name. Do it out of love. Do it out of kindness. Do it out of heart. Do it out of mercy. Do it with a lot of grace. And the enemy will not be able to find enough rocks to throw at you to stop you. When doing good is our, our driving force and the wrong things quickly start to lose their charm. When you start doing a lot of the good things, when you start doing things in Jesus' name, the bad things that you used to do in your life don't look so good anymore. The sinful life that you may have lived in the past doesn't seem so good anymore because it's bad. And you see that now. You realize what really is good. When God is involved in your life, when you're doing good for Jesus, then you will realize that what you was doing, you was actually, in a, in a past life, you, you was actually missing out on all the goodness of God. You see that. It will, it will come crystal clear to you. When you bless the lives of others with a humble heart, it has a way of, of, of neutralizing the destructiveness and destructive desires that are within you, but it also will neutralize the destructiveness that would be in someone else towards you. So be good. Be good people. Live a good life. Live a life, a godly life. But all that you do when you're doing it good, do it in Jesus' name. The second thing Peter tells us over in verse 14 is to accept the possibility of suffering. And that's exactly what I just told Paisley, who was down there praying a while ago, that it's going to get rough now. Be ready for the suffering. We're going to suffer. There ain't one of us exempt from it, and not a one of us is exempt from it. We're going to suffer from it. Peter wants, to, he wants you to understand that goodness on our part is not 100% guaranteed blanket protection from attacks. Being a good person doesn't mean that you'll never get one of those stray stones thrown at you. Being a good person doesn't mean that the devil won't find something in your life to, to make it hard on you. He's going to find it. What Peter's trying to tell us over here in verse 14 is be ready. Be ready for it. It will happen. We're not exempt. We will find something to be, to be persecuted for. It'll happen. Be ready. Now, Jesus, don't you think about Jesus for a second. He came to us as the poster child of goodness. Remember, he didn't have a sin in his body. He was goodness on feet. He was goodness on ground. He was, the, he was what we need to strive to be, goodness. But what happened? The devil tried to, to, to plot against him. The, the prince of darkness plotted and he planned and he tried every way possible to get rid of him. And it didn't work. Jesus didn't give in. That's why he's the poster child for goodness. He didn't give in. We shouldn't either. We need to, be, we need to keep on keeping on, keeping our eyes focused on, on the prize at all times. Keep on keeping our eyes on Jesus at all times and try to do as good as possible. Be as good as Jesus was. 
and, and try. Now, can we do it? No, we can't be that perfect. We can't be that good, but we can strive to be like that. And, but just always be ready and on guard. Even as we pursue goodness, we are to expect and accept the likelihood of suffering. Look at Job. Look at, who's we talking about the other day? Who we studying? Was it Ruth? Not Ruth. One of the women we studied about the other, the, a few weeks ago or months ago, the, the, what she went through, losing, which one was it now? She lost her husband, her sons. It's Ruth, Naomi. <laughs> there it is. Naomi, they all run together. All those women we're studying, they all run together. But the suffering, the persecution that came, the, the loss, but they kept their faith in God and is willing to suffer for it. Salvation comes with the, this package and is part of what it means to be a disciple of, of Jesus. So with this package of salvation, part of that package is suffering. Jesus suffered for us. That was part of his package when he was here on earth. That was part of what he would go through. The majority of what he went through in that package happened within seven days. There was persecution prior to that, but not to the extent of what he went through on that last week before his crucifixion. We're going to go through that same thing. It's a bundle package. We're going to be saved. We'll be saved, and then we're going to have ups and downs. Inside that package is good things, but there's also going to be bad things. It's going to happen. Be ready for the bad things that happen. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, he told us plainly. He said, just pick up your cross and follow me. He told us, yeah, follow him. <laughs> follow him. Just follow Jesus. Pick up your cross and follow him. He said, in this world... There's going to be what? Tribulation. There's going to be bad stuff in this world. But he told us that he would still be with us through that tribulation. He didn't just leave it right there. He said, be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. Be of good cheer. That should give you something right there. That should put a smile on your face right there just knowing that he has overcome the world. So no matter what the world or the devil throws at each one of us, the Lord's overcome it. He's overcome it for us. And God's presence will never leave us. And it's strengthening presence. When he's in your heart, it just gets stronger and stronger. He gets stronger and stronger. He's got that strong arm that we lean on. And so when we continue to suffer, when we go through this suffering, we keep leaning on his strong arm, he's going to pull us through it. That's what strong arms do. They pull you through. Third thing. We've got to honor Christ as Lord. That's verse 15. I'm going to read that one again. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an, uh, give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Even if the world should attack us, as we do the good and, and, and the right thing in this world, uh, we should not be surprised. And I just said that a while ago, but I, I want to emphasize that. Don't be surprised. And I think there's a lot of Christians, the newer Christians that have not grown up in church, they are shocked that once they're saved that things don't always go the right way. They're shocked because they think, well, I just got Jesus in my heart. He's my Savior, and everything's going to be peaches and cream for the rest of my life. That's what, we, that's what a lot of newer Christians think. But if you grow up in the church, you realize because we've all experienced it, we've seen it in other people's lives, we're not exempt from that, that suffering. We're not exempt from the devil's persecution. We never will be. 
And so we need to be ready for that. We don't need to be surprised when he comes at us. There was, I wrote this down last night because I thought it was pretty interesting. Has anybody here ever read the United States Code? I mean, you have to be a true nerd to really read that. The United States Code, read that. Cindy's read it. Read it sometime. It might take you a while. But inside that United States Code, there is, there's different sections. There's 52 sections to that, and each one of those sections has a, a bunch in it. Section 4 is one of my favorites. Section 4 of the U.S. Code is the Pledge of Allegiance. And it's how we are to say the Pledge of Allegiance. You read Section 4, and it tells you that you are to stand, you are to place your right hand over your heart, and recite the pledge. If you are military, active, or retired, you can salute. That's what it tells us. So I got to thinking about this code, this U.S. Code 4, and what it would mean to us if we was to flip that around as Christians. And this is what I thought of. As Christians, we should stand at attention before Christ as our master. We should stay ready for him, stand at attention for him. I'm, I'm not military, never was. I mean, almost, but didn't make it. But I, So I don't know what it's like to be in the military and what it's like to, be, to stand at attention whenever somebody important comes through. I don't know what that's like. But I do know what I feel like whenever Jesus passes by and I just want to stand and I just want to hug him and I just want to celebrate him. I just want to thank him. I want to be at attention for him. That means that we're to be watching and waiting to hear from him and to be ready to respond to his command. Being at attention in the military, uh, from what I understand, is that you are listening. When you stand at attention, you're waiting for that important person to tell you to do something. Whether to tell you to stand at ease or to give you an order, whatever it is. That's why, as a Christian, we should be at attention always waiting for God to give us that order. What are we to be doing for you? Lord, I'm at attention. Here I am. Do whatever, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Here I am, send me. That's what, we're at attention, send me. I'm ready to go. Just like we are at attention for this flag, we should be at attention for God. Always. Be ready. We're not, we're not allowing ourselves to be physically or mentally or emotionally distracted by the attacks of others. When we're at attention and we are saluting that flag and we're reciting the Pledge of Allegiance or we're doing the National Anthem, we are focused on that. This right here, we're focused on the flag and America. Any other time, all the time actually, we need to be focused, keep our eyes own God at all times, giving him our 100% attention. You let the devil do what he will, but we cannot take our eyes off of God. We just watched Friday. We, we played a, whew, it was a rough game. We played Ash County Friday. It was the last, our last season game of the season. We go into the tournament tomorrow night. But I, I was sitting there, and I was watching Jordan. I, I've, I've watched them girls play all year long, and I've loved sitting up there in the announcer's booth and, and getting up where I can see everything, almost everything, everything but first base, seeing everything that's going on. But I've never noticed Jordan until the other day. I sat behind home plate, and one of the girls, she's southpaw, 
and she was she bat I can't bat like her because I'm not amphibious or whatever it is ambidextrous I'm right handed, <laughs> but she she would get up there and she'd watch and she was watching that bat or that pitcher, and even if she didn't swing, this is what I always seen her do. That's what I seen her do every single time. What do we always tell our kids? Keep your eye on the ball. Jordan is the only one that I've watched. And everybody, there may be others that do that. But have you ever watched her do that? She flings that head and she keeps her eye on the ball from the time it leaves the pitcher's hand till it hits the catcher's glove. She has not taken her eye off that ball. We need to be that focused on God. Never taking your eyes off of God. Never taking your eyes off of heaven. Keeping our eyes focused upon the hill so that we will not get distracted. If you keep your eye on the ball playing ball, you're not focused on everything else around you. You're not hearing your parents back there yelling and screaming at you, or your coach yelling and screaming at you, or the, the opposing team yelling and screaming at you. You are focused on that one object, that one object. As a Christian, we need to be focused on that one object, on that one thing, and that is God, and not taking our eyes off of Him. Give him our full and complete attention. Give him our allegiance, and, and he will honor us, and he's going to bless us for that, for our time, for our sacrifices, and for trusting his strength and his power. Number four, be prepared to tell why you live the way you do. When I, grew, when I was growing up at, at Willowdale Baptist Church, I, I've told you all this story, I think, but the preacher's wife, Miss Janice, Sweet, dear lady, love that woman to death. Absolutely love her. Get to talk to her every now and then. Miss them dearly. But she always told us, because she was over the Bible drill, whenever me and my sister did the Bible drill, and she always told us the importance of remembering and reciting Scripture. We thought it was just, you know, so we could win a Bible or a trophy or a plaque or something like that. The importance of memorizing these verses was because someday our Bibles might be taken away from us. I'll never forget that. She said, there may come a time when a country invades the U.S. and we lose our Bibles, and we're not going to have that in front of us to read. We can't quote that Scripture verbatim the way that it is written in our Bibles. So we have to have that in our hearts, and we have to have that memorized in our minds. And I'll never forget that. But we also have to be able to back up why we think and do the things that we think and we do. We've got to back that up. So when somebody comes to you and says, why do you believe this way? Well, this is what the Bible says, and you could quote the Scripture to go along with it. Because that happens sometimes when you're, uh, you're out and about. You know, everybody carries a Bible. Well, I guess everybody does now if you've got a phone and carry a Bible with you. But you can get that Scripture out and say, this is why I believe the way I believe. If the world can't be specifically, or if the world can't specifically attack us for what we do, they're going to attack us for who we are and what we believe. For who we are and what we believe. This is where I'm taking flack right now because I don't believe in the LBGTQ plus agenda, and I'm taking a stance on it. I'm coming under attack. So be it. I think we all should. Abortion. I'm all right coming under attack because I can back up my beliefs with the Bible, Amen. and that's all that matters. We need to be ready for that, those attacks. 
somehow or another they're going to come up with charges against us and want us to and want to know why we do what we do and live like we live and think like we think they're going to come up with something and tell us that we're just a crazy bunch of christians that you've made this up and we need to be able to fire back at them really fast and say this is why i believe what i believe i have convictions we should all have convictions about why we believe what we believe jesus said what did he tell us I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I just forgot to mention Bible school. We'll do that after a while. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that is it. And we need to be able to tell the world that. He didn't say there's many other ways to get to heaven. You guys just pick the best one, but just remember I'm an option. That's, that's not what Jesus told us. The, he said, I'm the way not a way but the way the truth that's jesus so go ahead and proclaim what he said and watch how many will accuse you of arrogance and intolerance and they're going to tell you that you're being disruptive your thoughts are disruptive your thoughts they you know why they say that because it's called conviction your thoughts your beliefs have them under conviction Peter says that we are to be ready at all times to answer questions of anyone who asks. At all times. Y'all may have had this happen to you in the past where people say, why why are you a Christian? If that's never happened to you, I hope it does sometime. Because that will catch you off guard quicker than anything else. Why are you a Christian? You shouldn't have to stop and think about it. It should be just natural that you just say what it is. But a lot of times it will just catch you off guard. Why are you a Christian? Why do you believe the way that you believe? And Peter's telling us right here, be ready. Have that answer. Be ready at all times. Uh, The Bible tells us to be ready in a season at all times. But be ready to give that answer. Take some time to think through the essentials of your faith. Take time to think about your testimony. Why are you a Christian? This is what I believe. Let me give you my testimony and see what happens. That's an open door right there. The fifth thing, the last thing is keep a clear conscience. Now, verse 16 and 17, I do want to read those again. It says, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And our conscience is the, it's the, it's the moral and the, and the spiritual compass that God placed aside every single human being. <clears throat> that's that little devil on your shoulder, an angel on your shoulder, that's your conscience. That's, that's the way you need to look at it. We've all got one. Whether you're a Christian or not, we've all got a conscience. Something's going to tell you you ain't doing the right thing. Something's going to tell you that's the right thing to do. That's your conscience. As a Christian, we've allowed the Holy Spirit into our lives to control that. The Holy Spirit is what drives us as Christians. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one telling us, that ain't what you need to be doing. Or The, the Holy Spirit is the one saying, I would do that if I was you. That's your conscience now. Think about it. It is through our conscience that the Holy Spirit leads God's and directs. Leads God's directs. Because Jesus told us that. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. He said, I will not leave you alone. I will be with you. So when he ascended back to heaven, he left us with the Holy Spirit. 
because he knew he knew we needed somebody to lead us. We need somebody to guide us, and we definitely need somebody to direct us. And so having the Holy Spirit inside of us allows that to happen now. That is our conscience. The more we yield and respond to those, those nudges of the Holy Spirit that he gives us, the more doing the right thing will become natural. The more that you yield to God, the more natural it is just to be a, a good person. To live a godly life. The, the, it's just a, a natural thing that you want to do. You're going to want to do that. And the reason that you're going to want to do that is because you don't want to disappoint God. You're saved to serve. So after salvation, you're going to want to serve everybody. You're going to want to be the best person possible. You want to be the hands and feet of Jesus here on earth. You're going to want to go out and do it. It'll just be natural. Obeying the Holy Spirit fills us with the peace and joy of the Lord and delivers us from eternal conflict. Internal conflict, sorry. Internal conflict. Having those in us, having that peace, that love, and that joy, that happiness inside of us, it moves us. It keeps us going. It, it gets us away from that internal conflict that we have. Now, disobeying our conscience brings us to a state of guilt. How many times has the Lord told you don't do this and you did it anyway? I think we can all say we've done that. We felt guilty. We've, we've disobeyed God. You feel guilty. Your parents, you've ever disobeyed your parents? And the consequences that come after that, you feel bad, don't you? Even your body hurts in certain parts after that, if you know what I mean. Don't disobey your parents. There's two main ways people can deal with their conscience. One is to respond by doing that. This is one of my commentaries, and I thought it was pretty good. He said, one is to respond by doing the right thing or repent when we have done the wrong thing and start doing the right thing. That way we can enjoy the peace of the Lord. So we can enjoy peace. Whenever we're doing the right thing, whenever we're doing what the Holy Spirit's telling us to do, we can enjoy that time. We will enjoy our time of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Now, the other thing is to continue doing the wrong thing until the voice of consciousness is silenced. And he calls that having a, a searing, uh, see, this is called searing our conscience to the point where we feel no guilt or condemnation. So there are people that can be habitual sinners and they have this one thing that they like to do and they do it even even christians can do this they have this sin and and we'll call it a secret sin if you want to but they have this sin that they do that they have become numb to it because they have ignored their holy spirit they have ignored their conscience they have ignored god speaking to them saying don't do this stop it this is not right this is against me i don't approve of this and they continue to ignore that still small voice to the point where their conscience has been seared, and they're numb. And they are numb. Now, I'm not going to say this is being turned over to a retrobate mind. I believe that at some point that they will turn away from the sin. Something will happen to trigger them and, and stop that sin. But sometimes, sometimes we need that to happen. Sometimes we need something to to open up our eyes so that we can hear that still small voice again. To take a stand for Jesus, we need a clear conscience before God. We've got to have a clear conscience. We've got to take a stand for Him. So as we, we're going to leave here shortly, and we're going to go about our business here after a while and, and do whatever we do on Sundays and the rest of this week. As you start your day, 
make sure you have a clear conscience. Make sure that you have cleared out anything worldly, anything the devil may have put in your, your mind or your heart this week or this day. Clear it out. Make sure that you are ready to serve him. Make sure that you have nothing. Like we say, a sin-filled heart will hinder your worship. Make sure there's nothing in your heart, no sin in your heart that will stop you from serving God and worshiping him and, and, and fellowshipping with him. Make those five points part of your life. Those five things we just discussed, make them part of your life, if at all possible. It sometimes can be difficult, I know. But try to make, read over this. One of the things I, can, I can't stress enough is being ready, being ready to suffer. Be ready to suffer, but also be ready with answers so that when you start suffering and people ask why you keep doing this, you can answer them. This is what I believe. This is who I believe in. This is who saved me. He can save you too. Stand with me. We're going to close out. We'll do it a little bit different this morning. I, I, I think... I think we need to have Paisley come up here and Maria and, and get them up front. Yeah, yes, both of you. No, come on, please. Thank you. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to dismiss out of here and I'll have you all come by and love on Paisley. You can love on Maria if you want to, whatever you want to do. But I think we should love on Paisley just a little bit. She got sunburnt yesterday playing softball. Um, and like I said a while ago, as a, as a parent, this right here is what you pray for um, on a daily basis. As a grandparent, boy, Pappy's going to be heat up here shortly, ain't he? He might do a happy dance. <laughs> he might get Pentecostal on you. So, <laughs> my dad. Um, but this is what we pray for right here. And, you know, some people, I was, I was thinking about Paisley, or Abby down there a while ago. Abby, we had... Uh, revival at Beach Valley when she got saved. We have Sunday school. Not everybody gets saved in a church meeting. All right, it can happen at any point in any time. And and I just want y'all. This is a good example right here. Just mind the Holy Spirit. If the Lord's dealing with your heart over something, whether it's salvation or whatever else it might be, I want y'all to mind the Spirit and and don't don't bottle it up. Make sure that you you get things right with God whenever he's speaking to you, especially uh, like we was talking about with your conscience, making sure you listen to the Holy Spirit when he's telling you you're doing right or doing wrong, listen to him. And I appreciate Paisley listening and minding the Lord today. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come to you this morning, and God, we just thank you again for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, uh, as we prayed this morning for these churches up and down the roads, Lord, if, if there'd be somebody inside those church walls that are, are lost and bound for hell, God, I pray that you would continue to work in, in the pastor, Lord, work in the preacher, work with the pulpit, Lord, where the message of Jesus and salvation will continue to be preached, and those people that are lost will come to know and accept you. Lord, we thank you for that today. We thank you for the sweet salvation that has occurred here at this church. Lord, we just thank you for showing us again that you're still in control, you're still on the throne, and you're still working in this church. And I thank you so much for that, and I pray, God, that this will be an encouragement to so many. And, Lord, I pray that we just give you the praise, honor, and glory for all that takes place. We thank you for Maria for teaching and, Lord, for laying whatever was on her heart today. And, Lord, just to 
you line that up perfectly, and we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, you just bless our time of fellowship this evening, and I pray, God, you would just continue to bless this church, grow this church, and we'll give you praise, honor, and glory. All this for your son's, in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. If y'all want to come around and love on Paisley, you can, if you want to. <laughs>